Okay, um, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to talk to different people from interesting backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures in a casual way. My name is Nosayari, and I have another guest today. Welcome, Chooks. Thank you, Colin. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Do I call you Chooks or Chukuma or uh, CT? So <laughs> what I, exactly do you I know, call you? The the uh, the phone. So for my full name is Chukuri Tadema Unanu. Mm, uh, say that one more time. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm telling you to do that. Exactly. Right? Exactly. We're, we're speaking another language. Uh, Chukuri Tadema Unanu is yeah. my uh, my birth name, uh, and I'm grateful to my parents for that. My my nicknames. I have many. Chooks is one. Uh, Chudi is my, you know, more popular childhood nickname, but I go by CT these days for, you know, my, my, uh, colleagues and, and people that I've recently met. So, but, you know, depending on when you met me in life, it depends. So, you know, some people know me as Chooks. A lot of people know me as Chudi from my childhood, but most people these days know me by CT. And Chooks and I met, what, a year ago? Ah, it's been, wow. It has actually been legitimately a year. Yeah, because I can remember we met just as our mutual friend mm-hmm. Yvonne was graduating. Uh, I think that was last year. Yeah. And uh, this year I graduated. So that's technically a school congratulations year. Congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Today's episode is actually going to be pretty interesting because Chooks is also Nigerian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know the purpose of this podcast is to talk to people from different backgrounds, but I've said it time and time again. Background doesn't necessarily mean country. So I've had a whole, whole bunch of people on this podcast, people from Kenya, Saudi Arabia, El Salvador, uh, Pakistan, and a whole bunch of countries. But the fact that we are from the same countries doesn't mean that all tribes are monolithic, right? Yeah. So we're just going to touch on a few things from where we come from. And you also have kind of like a different background in the sense that you were born here. Am I correct? That's correct. Correct. Okay. So I was born in Nigeria and I came here what, two years ago for grad school, mm-hmm. but you were born here and you've been back home a few times. Right. Okay, so going back and forth, that dynamic should be pretty interesting. Uh, but before we start, just tell me a little bit about growing up. Um, where were you born? How was it for you growing up? And give me one of the fun African parent experiences. <laughs> I know there are hundreds, but... <laughs> we, I, yeah, I'll, I'll say this first. With, with any, and I mean this for anybody listening, any African, uh, we could write a book. A book, literally. Look, New preach. York Times bestseller. <laughs> Abuja bestseller. I mean, just, we can write a book about our, our parents alone. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, a bit about myself. Uh, I was born in uh, Prince George's County, Maryland, here in the United States. Mm. Uh, right outside, literally right outside D.C., for anybody that's familiar with the main hospital down there. And after my younger sibling, who's, who's uh, Chinua is her name, uh, was born, we actually moved back to Nigeria. So it was just my mother, oh, really? myself, and my sister. Yeah, my father. And mother at that time, this is the uh, early to mid 80s. They were trying to figure out, okay, you know, which economy, which country is better uh, for you in, know, the in the 80s? In the 80s, in the 80s. Oh, wow. So, so there was still, a, I guess, Nigeria was, it, it, was you know, still competitive, we, basically. I'll, I'll say this much as well as, as it relates to my family. So in, in this country, we, you know, I grew up, my sister grew up as middle, middle class, lower middle class to middle class. But our families on both of our sides, my father's side and my mother's side, we're not middle class. We're slightly above middle class. We're not, you know, down goats, you know, uh, level billionaires or anything like that. But we're, we're very well off. Like my That's both, back home in Nigeria. Yeah, back home in Nigeria. Like, gotcha. my, my, you know, both, both sides of my family, very hardworking, honest, you know, great character, great integrity in general with my family. So they were, again, wanting to see which, which country, which economy 
would be better to raise their new, their very young new family. Uh, how and, old were you? Uh, at the time when we moved, I was two, two and a oh, half so years very of age. Young. Yeah, my sister was just six months. So you wow. know, they were they were really you know seriously considering it. But after about two and a half years or so to three years of living in Nigeria, mm-hmm. my parents made the decision. You know what? We're gonna uh, raise them still in the states. So my mother, sister, and I we we flew back. By that time, you know, I'm I'm almost six years old. My sister's almost three. Uh, three or, or four, excuse me. And, you know, we flew back to D.C. by Dallas. I remember, actually remember the day vividly coming back to the States. So even though I was around six years old, I remember vividly, you know, seeing my father, him being happy, and my, my little sister running to him, even though he, literally my father had not seen her since she was six months old. He was wow. working, he was working in the United States while my mother was working back home in, in Nigeria. So, but, you know, they made it work because that, that's what worked for their their relationship. But anyway, uh, you know, once we came back to the States, we only visited Nigeria around every four years or so. So, you know, elementary school visited again, middle school visited again, high school visited again. So it was just a, you know, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, not quite, quite annual or quinannual. Um, I guess that's more frequent than most people, I would say, because some people like go every other 10, 15 years. Yeah. So so funny enough, uh, the last time I was in Nigeria was 2006. So wow, you haven't been back uh-huh. since 2006. So I'm now in that category okay, yeah, every yeah, 10 years. <laughs> you're, you're in for a huge surprise. Yeah. But just touching on something you said, you know, it's really interesting you say that because um, I used to hear stories of mm-hmm. when my dad um, was in high school and he told me that there was a time where a brand new car w- was about, what, 400, 500 naira uh, back in the, what, yeah. 60s, 70s. And there was a time where... The Nigerian naira, which is a currency used in Nigeria, was actually stronger than the U.S. dollar. Wow. So I know you, you know, touched on uh, your family situation, but there was actually a time where it was better to be Absolutely. in Nigeria than the U.S. But it's just, you know, over the past what fifty, fifty plus years, mm-hmm. you know, a lot has happened. But yeah, where, where can you remember the city you went to where you lived for that? Oh two yeah, years I was in, in Portugal. Yeah, I mainly lived in Portugal. There's a company, uh, a French company, oil company called Elf. Mm. So we lived, my, my auntie, uh, her husband worked for Elf, and we lived not too far from where she lived. I mean, they had their own compound, but my grandparents, my grandfather and my grandmother maternally uh, owned an apartment complex, a flat. So we lived in that flat for free, as you can imagine. Gotcha. Um, and we were just in, in literally like in, in downtown Port Tucker. Okay. So you were kind of like shielded and protected. I mean, yeah. you were very young. Yeah. So, at the same time. Um, but. How was school? I uh, went to a private uh, school. You know, the memories I have of it, I was flogged a few times. <laughs> <laughs> was that shocking? No. <laughs> no? And, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was joyful. I mean, it was, a, it was a very, you know, again, this is mid to late 80s, before like 1990. It was a very, like for me, precious moment in my early childhood uh, living in Nigeria. And, uh, you know, I can't forget it because uh, it was... A lot of, lot of memories with family members in particular were built from that point forward. So Gotcha. So you came back uh, you came back to Prince George's County? Uh, oh, that's yeah. where you were born. Yes, yeah, so I, I was born in PG. Um, so where we were living in Prince George's County then as well was uh, Langley Park, right outside College Park. Right? Langley Park. And uh, Langley Park then in the 80s into the early 90s is very different than now. I can promise you that. How so? Uh, predominantly black community in the uh, Isn't it still? 80s. No, it's, it's predominantly Latino, Hispanic. Latin. Really? Yeah. But I read somewhere that PG is like one of the wealthiest black communities. That is correct. So the, the county as a whole, absolutely, is is uh, predominantly black. 
and certainly one of the top, if I'm not mistaken, top 10 richest uh, black communities in the United States. However, Langley Park, Maryland, and Adelphi, and the outskirts of those two communities, where it even borders D.C., is now, in 2019, is heavily populated by the Latino, Hispanic, Latinx community. Oh, okay. And not that that's a bad thing. Uh, it's just, you know, I remember how it was, and to see how it's changed over the years, it, it probably really speaks more to the uh, influence of the international community in the D.C. area. Because it's, it's, you know, again, it was a black community, not a Nigerian community. Now that it's Latino, Hispanic, Latinx, gotcha. uh, definitely is a different flavor in a good way. Gotcha. And it's a good thing we're recording video for this podcast so you guys can see how young CT is. Because we talked about all these backstories. Like, I remember when, I remember when. I sound, I sound like an old man. I'm not going to lie. He's not an old man. Trust me. Trust me very much. So, yeah, growing up in the U.S., uh, you still haven't told me a story about your parents. What's an yeah. interesting one you can remember? So, let's see. Wow. I have to really think about this one. Are we are we talking interesting funny or just interesting like... I mean, it's always funny. Really, but less funny <laughs> okay, funny okay. is obviously there, but maybe surprising, yeah. shocking. I got I got a little bit of all that. So, let's uh, go. this is 1992, actually. So, there's a movie that just came out for anybody listening, and it's a remake by Disney, Aladdin. So, when I was a kid, I was fortunate enough to see Aladdin, the first one, in theaters in 1992. And that year, my father was actually going to Nigeria to uh, see his mother, uh, who was alive and she's now passed. So we, uh, my sister and I, you know, growing up in the, in the States, once we returned, we're like super excited about American holidays, especially Christmas, because, you know, our friends, you know, we went to a private Catholic school growing up. So our, all our friends are like, you know, year after year getting all these gifts for the birthdays and for Christmas and this and that. So we're like, oh, yeah, you know. Because we're in this community, we're thinking, oh, our family's like their families. Yeah. We're going to get guests when it's our birthday. We're going to get, you know, <laughs> that's what we thought. Now, this, this private school was not, you know, a, a, a cheap private school. Like, we, we found out later, like, it, it's a pretty penny to go to the school. But again, our parents were very much invested in us gotcha. uh, as we learned over the years. So, my father's going to Nigeria that winter for Christmas to see his mother. Um, my sister and I are both thinking, okay, we're going to get, like, I, you know, at the time, I was thinking I'm going to get this uh, Super Nintendo you know, that was the new game system at the time. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get all these games and my friends just got, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get that. My sister's thinking she's going to get this Barbie dollhouse. And, you know, again, we're little kids. We're thinking big. We dream big all the time. Yeah. So when Christmas comes, my father's not home. He's in Nigeria. My, it's just my mom, my sister and I. And I'll never forget this. We, we, get, we each get two gifts and they're identical. Okay. The first identical gift is a flashlight, an Aladdin <laughs> flashlight. So it's this purple flashlight with the head of the flashlight is yellow. And you have the Robin Williams genie as the, the on-off switch for the flashlight. Okay. And then there's this other toy, and I can't remember the, the name of it, but if, if anybody you know is, is uh, old enough to remember, I'll put it that way. There was this really popular cassette recording device for kids that they were promoting heavy. I think it was made by like Mattel Toy or something like that. But there was a pink version for girls and a gray version for boys. And literally... You could slip it on like a, a video camcorder from back in the day. You would slip it on, you put your cassette tape, uh, tape in there and record. And this is, you know, before mobile phones and everything uh, existed. So if you had this recording device, you're like the it kid. Like, oh, I can record, you know, music yeah. on the radio. I can record conversations, da, da, da. So we got that. But mind you, we, my sister and I, were expecting, we had expectations for our parents to meet. Yeah. Not thinking, okay, it costs X amount of dollars to fly round trip to Nigeria. So it costs, you know, X amount of dollars to 
put food on the plate. I mean, you like kids. Food. Exactly. So. We were young children, didn't know any better. So we were devastated, to, <laughs> to say the least, <laughs> uh, about, you know, getting these 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 gifts that, you know, did not meet our ex- our standards. But, did you confront your parents? What did they say? So, you know, God bless my, my parents, especially my mother. She's, she's definitely a rock, just like my father is. My mother, knowing we had these these high expectations, not necessarily knowing the details of it, mm-hmm. she gave us these gifts still humbly. She let us know, like, look, you know, this is all we could afford. T- times are hard right now. Your father's in Nigeria looking after his mother. And, you know, we're here. And it's like it was really co- it was a really cold winter too. that like, 92. Uh, but, you know, we're here and, you know, this is the best I can I can do. You know, Merry Christmas. So, you know, as a child and I'm the oldest and only son as well, I was like at the time hurt, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe, you know, I didn't get what I wanted. But then for, for whatever reason, I think this is definitely God and how he works. I started to understand, like, the type of sacrificing my parents had been doing. Wait, how old were you? 92, nine years old. So I was in third grade, okay. Okay. somewhere so, around there. So yeah. as a as a as a, a third grade boy, I, I started to understand, like, what, you know, sacrifices and whatnot my parents were making. Like, you know, my father didn't have to go to Nigeria, mm-hmm. um, but it's his mom. And, you know, over the years, I realized just how much of a instrumental figure she was in my family's life on my father's side and my mother's side too. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, again, the funny, the funny part, I got a flashlight for Christmas. <laughs> I don't know too many kids. I can say that. <laughs> I mean, a, a couple of people. And again, like I said, this is where we go back and forth. Right mm-hmm. now, me growing up, um, we're pretty much middle class also, but I know a couple of people will have been happy to get a flashlight yeah. for Christmas. That's real. That's real. Um, some people, let me see a Christmas presents. I encountered, maybe not me personally, maybe friends, uh, but probably maybe you, you, you can eat multiple meals during Christmas, so you can eat lunch twice, yeah. which is not like a thing in some households in Nigeria, or maybe you can, I don't know, hell, where there's this thing about Christmas clothes back home, uh, so back home is not necessary, branded clothes are not necessarily mm. the thing, yeah. so far your clothes are new, well, I have new clothes, well, that's the thing, I don't care if it's, I don't know. Yeezys or whatever. By the mom probably bought the clothes like maybe six months to Christmas, started in a box, get them to wear the clothes during Christmas, Mm -hmm. and sometimes like store those clothes again for next Christmas. So those were some of the dynamics like uh, growing up. But I understand like it was a a different time, it was a different um, geography. But your parents had just two kids, just you and your sibling? Yeah, they, they knew, you know, before they even got married, they knew like. We can only handle two children. We don't. We don't want to be like our siblings or like our family in general. I have, you know, cousins. I have on my mother's side. There's uh, one of my my uh, mother's brothers has four daughters. Gotcha. Um, one of my 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 mother's only sister has three uh, children, and one of which you know, Jennifer. Yeah. And uh, the other relative, uh, her her baby brother has two sons, and they would have had more children, but from what I understand, they decided, you know what, we have boys. Yeah. We're good. So, but on my father's side, you know, we have, I have multiple uh, cousins who have many children, two, three, four. I don't know if anybody said five, but for the older generation, my parents' generation, siblings, you know, four siblings, five siblings, eight siblings. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's pretty popular, exactly. <laughs> I would say. Yeah. And, and it's rare, right? Especially in the eighties, like when you were born, because it's most Nigerian parents, the average 
family growing up was what six mm-hmm. so four kids yeah. and two parents that's probably a normal size family if you had just two kids so maybe uh, your dad coming out here you know knowing that he didn't want to have more kids than he can handle yeah. and maybe he had some influence from his environment also knowing yeah. that he didn't need to have like all these kids and all but growing up did you yearn for like a brother <laughs> or, or did you, were you just cool with your sister or you had friends? So when we were, this is pre-high school, uh, my sister and I, we would, we would reminisce. We would dream to, to continue <laughs> on the dreams we had. We dreamed a lot as, as children, I'm telling you. My sister and I would dream like, man, I would love to have a little brother for me. And then my sister would be like, yeah, I want a, I want a little sister. Like, and we would actually come up with proposals to our parents. Daddy, mommy, can you... Uh, <laughs> You know, do something so we can have a what new kind of proposal? Do you actually call the meeting or you like no? Wrote we, something? Legit, legit. My sister and I would have meetings. This, uh, this would happen maybe every uh, uh, two to three years. Oh god! In our, in our early childhood, like we were like, because you know, it's just us. Like she's the only girl, I'm the only guy. Gotcha. We, as we were getting older, we couldn't necessarily relate to each other because I'm not a female, she's not a male. Yeah. I, we don't think and communicate the same way as we obviously know now as adults. Yeah. Uh, so we would be like so frustrated. We would come to an, an agreement. You know what? Let's talk to our parents. Let's get another sibling. Let's see if it's a new sister and new brother. And of course, they're like, "No, you're crazy." Oh my goodness! <laughs> Every time, but no, yeah, it was it was interesting. But but it was interesting to know that you know you were that open with your parents to you know talk about things like that. Because again, I don't mean for this to happen the whole episode, mm. but I just want to like no, 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 you know, go back and forth and see how we can see the differences. You know, growing up in the U.S. Yeah. and probably growing up in in Nigeria. So, in t- a typical Nigerian family, you don't look your parents in the eye, like especially your dad. <laughs> you dare not look your dad in the eye. Like there was a time where I didn't enter my parents' room for more than two years. Oh wow. Yeah, because even when they're not around, mm-hmm. like, you dare not enter your parents' That's room. Like, you go to the door and you knock, and they're like, who's that? And sometimes, if they, when they know it's you, you're like, it's me, daddy. Like, if it's someone serious, they might come at me. But when they know it's you, is that it's my child. They might spend, like, 10 minutes. Like, it didn't occur to me now, but back then, I can only imagine what they were doing. But it was spent... <laughs> You spend like 10 minutes, then come on, I had to stand at the door for 10 minutes, like, yeah, what do you want? What are you looking for? I don't know. And sometimes that affected like our self-esteem growing up. It affected the way we communicate. Even now with elders, like I know I was still shocked, like just coming to university here in the U.S. and the way people just talk freely with the professors. Mm -hmm. And I'm still like have that. And I still revere some of them because, you know. Speaking to your elders is a big thing, right, in Nigeria. Absolutely. Like, you don't talk Absolutely. to your elders and now. You have to, you know, shake people with the right hand and not the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, bow if they are really old. Um, don't call them by their first name. Always attach your sir or right. ma. So, um, but, yeah, it's it's pretty good. But do your parents ever tease you about that now? That, hey, you guys wanted us to have siblings. We, like, where are my grandkids now or something? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say this on such a great platform. Um, my parents, for both my sister and I, were very... They were, they were different. And I think it's because of their families, too. So, you know, again, they uh, on both sides of, the, of my family, you know, experienced the Civil War like most Nigerian mm. uh, uh, parents uh, uh, these days have survived it, defected to a different country, had these, you know, discriminatory experiences. Yeah. And even through all the wahala, if you will, that uh, they've experienced over the years, they, they knew that they didn't want to have a family that was in any kind of way like when i when i when i use structured it's not necessarily like there is no structure more so like we don't want our children to feel like unloved unappreciated so 
I honestly, I can't, I can, I cannot remember a time where my parents did not welcome myself or my sister to converse with them, to talk to them about things, to, to just be with them. Like, I, I think as difficult as things were initially when they were trying to figure out, okay, how do we raise our children? What country, et cetera. And then of course, again, you have two immigrant parents in the United States. Uh, they didn't get, they didn't become citizens at the same time. My mother became a citizen last, actually, after my father. Mm-hmm. You know, all these things came into play, but they knew, like, we want to make sure, in, in making sure our children have the absolute best experience that this country has to offer, that we ourselves are offering our children the best experience as parents. So wow. we've, you know, I think to their credit, not not anything I've done or my sister Chino has done, if she's listening, not if she will be listening. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, they, they wanted to make sure that we grew in how we communicate and engage with each other as a family, starting starting with them, continuing with my sister and I, and then of course with uh, other other people, family members and the like. So gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Man, shout out to African parents, man. Uh-huh. Like, man, shout, shout out, out to all, all parents. All, I mean, it's uh, you know sometimes uh, when I get to talk to uh, my parents, sometimes they just after talking for a while, they're just like, look, there's nothing we can say to make you understand. When you have your own children, you understand. And, and that, yeah. that hit me. I was like, okay. <laughs> it made me afraid. I was like, okay. there's, a, there's a lot of truth to that. I'll, I'll tell you what. There's some things now. You know, I'm about to be 36 in a few weeks. That both my father and mother taught me when I was like small. I still remember. And, and I, I was like, I don't, I don't get it. I understand. And that, you know, maybe 10 years, 20 years later, it's like, oh wow. Like it, it'll just hit me like a ton of bricks, so to speak. So gotcha. there's definitely, you know, as you were saying, the, with the shout out to parents, there's definitely a lot of wisdom that isn't necessarily going to kick in right then and there, but may hopefully kick in later on. Gotcha. So let me touch on the last time you went back to Nigeria. Sure. 2006, that was, what, 13 mm-hmm. years ago? Yeah. Um, did you go with your family? Have you ever gone back on your own? And do you plan to do that sometime soon? So the last trip I had, that was the first uh, actual first family trip to Nigeria that we had ever had. In fact, uh, the previous trips when I moved back to the States was always my mother, my sister, and I. Never my father, my mother, my sister. Um, oh, actually, let me let me correct myself. We did have a family trip. It wasn't 2006. It was actually four years before that, when I was a uh, junior going into my senior year in high school. My grandfather, my mother's father, passed away okay. uh, in 2000. So we actually did go to Nigeria uh, later on uh, for the funeral. And that was all four of us. But after that, when I did go again in 2006, that was just my mother, sister, and I. It wasn't my father in, in that scene. So. As far as I want to make sure I'm addressing your inquiry, um, I definitely have every intention to go back to Nigeria. Uh, you know, that's definitely in my heart again. A lot of great memories. I've been back to Africa, but it was Morocco. The first time I was ever there in 2017 for a wedding of, you know, my, my cousin Jennifer, her brother got married there. But yeah, as far as, you know, my connection to Nigeria and and visiting then and, and, and versus, you know, all these years later, um, the impact every every visit I've had, the impact has always been good. I've never I've never had a a type of bad experience that would deter me from loving my country, loving the people in my country, or loving even travel uh, to Africa. It's it's always just been an, an encouragement of sorts, if, okay. if that makes sense. So the jollof is always sweet South Africa. Ah, That's what <laughs> there, there's, there's no food like Nigerian food in Nigeria. Like to say that you know our aunties and uncles here in the states or even like in the UK or elsewhere in the world can't cook, but it's just. It's you know it's different. Like it is different. Getting, getting even though I'm vegan now, getting street meat, getting suya from the suya man off the street is way different 
Yeah, a Suya person. I'm not even gonna say Suya man. A Suya person here exactly. in the US. It's just a different, different experience, different vibe. So and Suya for those that are listening who are not Nigerian, Suya is like uh what like skewered, skewed, skewered meat or yeah. something it's like kebab. Beef, chicken, yeah, exactly. Nice so yeah, but, but so made with some spices um, and yeah, made in Nigerian way. Um, but what's uh wait? Did you say you're vegan? I did. I am okay. vegan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Slow pause. <laughs> how, how long have you been vegan? Wait, what's the difference between vegan and vegetarian? I'm, I'm glad you asked. I always ask, but I always forget. So uh, for for my, my journey and my vegan journey, I've been uh, a plant-based eater for almost seven years. It'll be seven this September. Wow. Yeah, okay, so you're serious. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, not, well, not a, not as serious as some people, and I, I'll explain why. Uh, so you know, some people say I'm vegan, and two months later, you see them eating a burger. I'm like, dude, dude. you're like, ah, oh, yeah, right. I had a cousin who literally did that. Um, yeah. he, he's a, he also was raised in Portocket, loves fish. He just mm. could not resist fish, so he's back at it. But uh, so for for anybody who's not aware, there's you know, there's I guess I don't want to say levels. It just kind of sounds uh, facetious, but so you know, with with anybody who's a vegan, and I'm just focusing on nutrition. They only consume things that are plant-based. Okay. Um, there's no dairy, no seafood, no beef, poultry, and the like. Anything? Wait, no of, dairy? No dairy. No seafood? Yeah. Any any byproduct of an animal and or insect. How do you get stuff like what's in dairy? Well, calcium, iron? How do you get stuff like that? So there, there are other, you know, if you think about it with uh, cows and other, other type of cattle, they are typically going to eat plants, and those plants give them those same nutrients that we essentially get from their bodies if we eat the, the meats. I mean, so, they eat plants when we see them. We don't know what they're doing at night. That's true. <laughs> I mean, they might be ordering takeout. We don't know. They might using, be using Uber Eats. Using DoorDash to get some pizza. <laughs> it's, it's possible. You never know, man. Yeah, but essentially, it's, it's just going to, quote, alternative sources for the same type of nutrients. So, like, you know, kale is a very popular thing for, for protein, for example, or Quinoa is another thing for protein. There are many, believe it or not, there's a lot of uh, fruits and vegetables that have these minerals, these nutrients and resources uh, nutritionally that uh, you can, you know, gain from. So there there are people, I'm I'm sure if anybody wanted to look it up. I mean, I can, protein is pretty popular, I guess. You can get beans, you can get a bunch of stuff, but like iron, like from fish and like calcium from like milk i don't know how you substitute but I'm, you know better than me so i'm, ve- still, so, I'm still learning to myself so vegan is like strictly plant-based exactly. while vegetarian is so vegetarian the, the the difference between the two is that if you are vegetarian you can consume dairy you can consume eggs okay you can consume honey and then honey is wait honey of, also yeah so honey honey is one of those things right now in the uh, uh generally speaking in the vegan community that's being debated. Like, is honey really vegan or not? For me, the fact that there's a debate, I'm like, I'm not even going to play with it. I'm not even going to have any honey. Um, have I had, for the record, have I had honey accidentally? Yes, that's happened there. You know, you go to a, any African wedding or wedding in general, yeah. somebody is using some ingredient that you don't know that they're using and you're accidentally. No, of course, check that to see very well. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, but you know, honey, if you're a vegetarian, you can have that. If you're vegan and you're on the fence about whether or not honey is something you can consume, agave nectar is the next best thing. There's agave nectar? Yeah. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. So the, the same plant that's used to make tequila, the beverage, uh-huh. is also used to make a nectar that is sweet, in some cases, sweeter than honey. So there, again, there's so many 
2019, there's so many alternatives. But but why? Though? Why did you become vegan? Or was it what happened? Is there a story behind? Yeah, that? Um, you know, just to because I, I could talk like a long time about just food and nutrition and health. But uh, for me, uh, long story short, in 2010, uh, when I was four years into my classroom teaching career here in the area, I was very overweight. I was about 220 or so pounds. Um, and for me, that was just heavy. Like I felt, I felt heavy. I, I felt slow, sluggish. I, I just, I was not happy with my image. So I decided to start exercising, like seriously exercising, working out and also changing my diet. So then I was researching, you know, different uh, trends at the time. Uh, you know, beach body is one of those things that was really popping off in the early 2010s. Now it's, you know, another different level 10 years later. But, you know, I started doing beach body related exercises. Uh, what was it? P90X and Insanity were like the two big things at the uh, time. You did Insanity? Yeah, I did Insanity. So I've done Insanity twice. Um, for some reason, I can never complete P90X. I go through the first day of three phases. So I went through the first phase and something would happen where my schedule would just be messed up. So what I would do, and some people do this now, is mix it up with the beach body exercises that they offer. So I did phase one of, Insan- uh, of uh, P90X, then I did all of Insanity, all six weeks, then I would go back to the first phase of P90X and then do all of Insanity again. So that, that I did that for about two, two and a half years. In 2012, I dropped, initially, this is as a non-vegan, I dropped roughly 20 pounds. I was like more toned, you know, cut, you know, feel, your boy was feeling really good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then... As far as veganism is concerned, in the early 2010s, this is when veganism was starting to also become a little bit more uh, notable and popular. I was like hearing about it on the news, on online blogs. This is when blogging was like a real thing, not like now, which is something different. Now it's more Uh, like vlogging. Exactly. But, you know, I kept hearing it like veganism, 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 as I was looking up vegetarianism, which was actually what I was more interested in, pescatarianism and vegetarianism. Because, again, I grew up in Port seafood, periwinkle, I'm telling you, know, I used exactly. to eat, I'm telling you. So anyway, I went to an expo, and this was like one of the first ones at the time, the NBC4 Health and Fitness Expo. Wait, wait, you actually went to an expo? Yeah. So you're really determined. Yeah, I was, I was like, I need to get as much information as possible so I can make the best decision as possible for my, <laughs> for my own health. So I went to this expo, talked to various doctors, nurses, medical practitioners, and, and experts, I put that in quotes because you don't really know who's at the booths. Gotcha. But there are two, at the time, there are only two vegan booths. So I went straight to them, talked to the, the people at the booths, gave me all these brochures, and I was like, great, you know. In my mind at the time, I was thinking I'll be a vegan five, six, seven years later. It sounds like interesting, but not right now. What made me vegan, 2012, uh, for my birthday, I went to a restaurant uh, with my sister. Okay. And, and I'm going to let you let all know what the restaurant is because I, I personally don't like their food at all. Um, not to say that the, the that was seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Cheesecake Factory. Oh, okay. It's Factory. a chain. Okay. <laughs> and I, you know, I grew up having to go to Cheesecake Factory. My mom loves it. My sister loves it. I don't. My father doesn't either. Mm-hmm. But we go because the women in our family love it. So in this case, uh, I went to the restaurant because there were no other options at the time. It was a Monday night for my birthday. So we go there. We get served by this really great waiter. His name is Christian. You know, he gives us the menus and I'm, I'm just trying to get with my clean eating mentality. Like, what is something I can eat that I've never eaten before that I'd love to learn how to cook and is healthy? So I see something on the menu. And again, if you want to become a vegan, I'm making this very clear. This is what you're going to eat to become a vegan. Okay. So I ordered mahi-mahi with breaded wasabi. Mahi-mahi? Mahi-mahi fish. 
Mahi Mahi it, fish. It's a fish that's indigenous to uh, the island of Hawaii, from what I understand. Okay, uh, so, I, so I know what not to order. <laughs> specifically from this venue, let me just be clear. Not to say that Mahi Mahi fish is bad, or wasabi is bad, or white rice is bad. All that was there. But this was the, the worst dish I've ever had in my life. Mm. I'm, I'm like my life, like ever. Um, it was cold, hard, and slimy, to say the least. Wait, well, like sushi or... The, the, so mahi-mahi uh, fish is, is similar to salmon in texture, but it's it's not as sodium-dense, if you will, like salmon. It's a little lighter in, in, in what, flavor. What, was it steamed? Was it... It was. It, it looked like a, a cold, hard, slimy fish steak. That's the best way I can describe it. It's supposed to be something that's light and fluffy, and, and it looks delightful. It didn't, it didn't look delightful. Gotcha. Um, so I'm eating into this, this steak, fish, fish steak, and uh, I'm just my body is not agreeing with me. Like just this 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 reaction is happening with every bite. And I you know put my plate to the side, look my sister in the eye, and I tell her from this day forward, I swear I'm going to be vegan, just like that. Yeah. That that's how it became vegan. I because of a bad dining experience, I swore to a relative, and I have, I have witnesses actually that night. Yeah. Uh, another friend of mine happened to be at that restaurant, and she saw me become a vegan too. So I've been seven almost seven years strong a vegan. Wow. So I thank Cheesecake Factory. For helping me become a vegan, but okay. if, if I had not had that dish, I would still be chopping, you know, <laughs> seafood and beef and whatnot right now. So you know, I can actually relate—not uh, me personally, but um, I don't know if you're familiar with the old black man doing cheese movement. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> Mister, Mister, I won't say his, his actual street name, but uh, uh, I was just watching his his own uh, uh, show. Watch who, Charlemagne? Yeah, I, I'm trying not to say his name, not because I don't like him, but uh, it was when DC Young Fly, Chico, Chico Bean, and um, uh, forgetting the other dudes. 88 name. South? I think so, yeah. That, that, that whole crew, they were yeah. being interviewed, and they called his full name out, and I was like, I did not know that was his Leonard. full name. Lennard. Lennard. Gotcha. Lennard. Yeah, so, yeah, when, <laughs> when Lennard was talking, he had mentioned that, so. Yeah, I mean, black men don't cheat. I mean, he came up with a story like that also, like, he was, like, Back in his days when he was, like, messing around on his wife, like, he was tiptoeing with, like, his side chick or something. And he just, like, came to that realization of what exactly am I doing? Look, I'm going to be faithful for now. He's been faithful for yeah, But, yeah, black men, I don't know. There's a stereotype out there that we cheat a lot. I don't know where that came from. We actually don't cheat. I can't speak for black boys. I don't know. But, you know, black men, in my opinion, do not cheat. I think one one part of that, uh, the, the, so the good thing about the movement is that it's being broadcast, right? It's it on, is. It's on various me- platforms of media. I think that the the reason why such movement has to exist is because of media. At the same time, mm-hmm. on the flip side, there's been this, you know, and, and now there's this renaissance, if you will, on on uh, uh, black entertainment overall, uh, whether it be broadcasting, film, TV, radio. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is what the full spectrum of the black community is. In the United States, in the UK, in Africa, and elsewhere in the world, um, but it's again the same the same tool that depicted Negroes, if you will, since Juneteenth was yesterday, as a certain way, is also now being flipped on its head mm. and used by our the same community to really be like, no, actually, this is who we are. Whether it is you know with religion or doctrine, these are the various types of practices that our community engage in. You know, for myself, I call myself a disciple of Christ, even though. Some people say Christian. There, you know, I have a relative who's Muslim. There are other people who are atheists. There are other people who are uh, Jewish. Actually, there, there are some people who are African. You may not know this. People listening, there are African Jews. 
Yeah, of the course they're African. <laughs> but a lot of people wouldn't know that unless they were exposed to We that have Jewish media, churches you know? in Nigeria. Exactly. Um, but, you know, with back to the movement that you bring up, I think it's because of the fact that we've, we've gotten to a place as a community overall, globally, where we're tired of the same old, same old, the thug. The, you know, deadbeat dad. The, the stereotypes. Uh, the, the, exactly, the yeah. stereotypes. We need to change the narrative. Exactly. So I, yeah. I'm glad that this, this of, of the many movements that are out right now mm-hmm. that the black community are It's behind. about time. Yeah. I mean, people like me have been, you know, been bundled into the whole mix innocently, right. just like that. So it's good exactly. to know. I mean, I personally am pushing it as hard as I can. Uh, but yeah, we'll get into what you're doing um, professionally and all that. But um, let me just um, talk to our listeners real quick. Uh, if you're listening to us uh, on this podcast, please do me a favor and just screenshot your screen, regardless of what platform you're using. If it's a SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, whatever, uh, screenshot your screen right now and post it on your Instagram stories or WhatsApp stories. If you're African, I know you have WhatsApp. <laughs> if you're not African, maybe, maybe not. And uh, yeah, you have Instagram stories. Yeah, just post it on for us uh, so other people can, you know, ask questions. Hey, what's this? Uh, what podcast is this? And, you know, the word can spread. Appreciate it very much. Uh, but you said something about being a disciple of Christ, yes. and we'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. But I want to talk about your passion for education. Absolutely. I don't know if I can tie this to your heritage, because I know that Nigerians don't joke with education. Mm-hmm. We're one of the most right. you know, educated immigrant groups here in the U.S. and other parts of the world yeah. also. But what's your fascination with education? You, you, tr- you, you kind of like are building this career in education. What's, what's your fascination with imparting knowledge on other people? Where Absolutely. does that come from? So, so this is the, the origin story, again, going back to my, my parents. So on my mother's side, particularly, my grandmother, who's still alive, her name is uh, Jemima Kukimunche, and her husband, who passed away, uh, Ezra, uh, Eze Israel uh, Wunche, uh, are both educators. Um, my grandfather was actually a politician as well as an educator. He was, you know, if you were to talk to certain people in the Igbo community here in the DMV, and New Jersey and parts of Cali, even as well as Texas, mm. somebody at some point went to one of my, my grandfather's schools. Like he was that much of an influential figure politically and educationally in Nigeria. This is pre and post Biafra war. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, in, in some senses it's in my blood, uh, this, this, this desire, this passion that I have uh, for education and, and not specifically the field only it's more so what it can do for communities. Cause I firsthand, uh, I've had that experience of understanding like how education is so influential, but to hear stories from, I mean, I've heard almost hundreds of people just approach my family and randomly in some cases, well, we can be at a function, a wedding, uh, 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 a general like Ebro, Ebo congressional meet, you know, literally there are men and women who are in their eighties, seventies, sixties, and fifties that have gone to my grandfather's schools in Nigeria over mm-hmm. at some period of time. And if it weren't for your grandfather, I wouldn't have, you know, gone to school in the UK or gone to school in the US, et cetera, et cetera. So, I, you know, for me, you know, hearing those stories, knowing my grandfather like I knew him growing up as a child in Nigeria, and then later really understanding the ripple effect he had uh, in his life before he passed away, I'm like, man, he left, he left this impactful legacy in people. In people. Mm. I need to do that. I need, I need, that is a standard that, to this day, I'm still in my my very tender age of 36. Soon, I'm I'm still working on. So for me, education is about not just titles like you know 
Yes, I have two master's degrees. Yes, I have a bachelor's and associates. Yes, I have four degrees total. I, I, that's not that's not important to me. Like, what am I doing with those degrees? Who am I impacting with those degrees? That's what's important to me. So, so even, separating education from schooling. Basically. Exactly. Because exactly. it's it's uh, it's the one type of uh, resource or commerce that can make or break an entire nation. And, they, you know, there's there, there are studies that, you know, we could talk about now uh, of like, I think it's Norway and Finland, for example, mm-hmm. in the past 50 years, education has impacted those two countries. For example, whatever country you, you bring up South Korea, for example, if you were to look into their history, same thing, whatever country that has previously been debilitated or, or impoverished that invested over a period of time in education years later, decades later, the, that country is a lot more powerful. China, we could even talk about China and, mm-hmm. and, you, you know, we have Nigerians in China. We have Nigerians in all these countries I just mentioned, but Nigerians are everywhere. There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Not just because we're, we, we go where the money is, but also educational opportunities. We also go where the educational opportunities are. If we don't get visa in the U S or Canada, or the UK, we'll, we'll go somewhere. Somewhere. Exactly. So for me, again, it's about the impacting communities for the better, not for the worse. Okay. And uh, is there a roadmap for that exactly, or you're still trying to like find your way? Um, so ge- generally speaking, the, these days, I'll say that you don't necessarily have to follow the traditional, you know, go to, go to you know, school, kindergarten through 12th grade, go to a four-year university, get a job, wife, kids, wife, pick a fit. Like that, that, that dream, that American dream is almost non-existent. Things have changed. There's True. a lot of disruption because of technology. And that's, I think, a good thing. True. And also disruption because of like other countries, you know, utilizing or, or le- leaning on the experiences of this country, for example. And, you know, Obama said it a few years ago. Why are we sending back our international students to their home countries when we need them here to help build our country? So there's this, again, that he's addressing education in that kind of a statement. He's, he's acknowledging the fact that even though we have all these these things, these resources in our country, the United States, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't mean that other countries can't compete or even do better than mm-hmm. us. And that's what's happening right now. So I, I don't think there's a blueprint or uh, a map, so to speak, for getting the, the type of education one would need. I think it, that journey is going to be different for each person. I have a you know a friend who's Ghanaian. He's going to... Uh, Austria to, to university. I think he's going to a graduate program, if I'm not mistaken, okay. because he couldn't find anything here in the States or in the UK where he has family. So, and Austria happens to be the better better option for him. So he'll be flying out this summer and he'll be gone for three, four, five years and he'll get his degree and he's going to do the next best thing. So I think it comes down to, does it make sense for me to, uh, since we're, you know, this is an international platform, does it make sense for me to go to this country or go to that country for this type of program? Does it make sense for me to live here after or even during uh, uh, my studies? Because there's e-schools now. There's there's online learning. Yeah. Um, you know, you have websites like, now it's, it was lynda.com before, now it's LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Learning, since Microsoft yeah. purchased all, all those companies that offer like master class level courses for the cost of $40 a month. I mean, yeah, right, so, Sarah. Exactly, exactly. So, there, I mean, there's, there's so many venues, so many avenues as well and and opportunities to be educated there's, there's not one right or wrong way but what to, to address the particular question about myself uh for me i've had a vision a very particular vision in mind and it's to be able to impact a community a large community nationwide community where possible through the arts through stem education so for me you know with the types of types of degrees that i've acquired it's building toward that but i don't i don't know that i've yet reached it. And, and 
you know, my definition of vision, I, I go to the, the Bible, for example, with, with its definition of vision. Habakkuk chapter two, verse two to three talks about having a vision, making it clear, writing down on tablets. So that, and I'm still going toward that vision and that journey, my journey of education. So, Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. I guess uh, we can refer back to this audio uh, <laughs> recording years from now and say, oh, okay, he said it, you know. X years ago, and he's actually doing that now. So that's a good thing to actually know that you're living a life of purpose and you had all this good, um, great influence around you while you were growing up, your mom, your dad, your grandparents, and um, you actually want to give back uh, to Absolutely. society. Because sometimes also we take for granted the kind of positive influence uh, we had growing up. And I was just telling my dad this on Father's Day last week. That, you know, he didn't say much because he was in the military mm -hmm. and, you know, he went on some peacekeeping missions here and there. He was uh, in the Nigerian Air Force, oh, wow. uh, okay. crashed his helicopter once or twice, came out alive. Um, okay. So he didn't really say much. He was like a soldier uh, growing yeah. up. But through just watching his deeds and emulating and wanting to make him proud and just seeing him lead by example those are some of the things we take for granted because sometimes when we see a full-grown man um delving into some things or you know doing some things that maybe the society frowns upon or whatever mm. uh that might also stand back to you know, growing up without a positive role model of growing right. up so um it's one thing we shouldn't like take for granted absolutely well talking about habakkuk and talking about the bible um let me touch on this whole disciples of christ thing okay. um, what is that uh, so are you christian are you um I don't know. I, I don't mean to like... No, I take no offense at all. <laughs> I, I don't mean, but I'm just trying to understand um, what that is. Because, you know, in Nigeria, it's like, if you say anything beside Christianity, your mom would I rebuke you. You are the devil. <laughs> Holy Ghost fire fall on you. Holy Ghost. <laughs> Especially in southern, eastern yeah, Nigeria, okay, where you're from. Okay. Um, northern Nigeria, predominantly Muslim, mm. but like southern Nigeria, you know, they have all these things. Now, I was surprised to know, I don't know if you know a company called Goya. Sounds familiar. Yeah, so Goya is a South American uh, company, uh, okay. Latin America. I think they're based. I think they're based in Mexico, somewhere in South America, mm -hmm. and they manufacture uh, black beans. Yeah. I think potato chips and a, like it's like a food company, like Kraft, okay. and they also manufacture olive oil. Now, growing up, like olive oil used to be a thing in church mm -hmm. in Nigeria, like. Churches used to sell olive oil, and he had that Goya stamp. So Goya was like the staple olive oil. So a lot of people use that olive oil to like chase away demons and do mm -hmm. a whole bunch of stuff. Coming to the U.S. and seeing that olive oil on the shelves and seeing that people actually use it to marinate and cook. <laughs> Maybe they use it to cook the Mai Mai. I don't know. <laughs> but I was like, wait, 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 wait. So you mean this oil didn't come from heaven? <laughs> it was actually produced... Yeah. In a country and export it to another country and people buy it. I'm like, oh my God. So, I don't know. There's a difference between religion, yeah. uh, spirituality, and Christianity. But I'm just interested in your um, journey through sure. spirituality. Um, what do you consider yourself? Uh, what are the tenets of your religion? And how is it different from your parents? And mm -hmm. how do you take that if there's a story there? Sure, sure. So, I... Uh I was I was born and raised a Catholic in my in my family. You know, I went to a Catholic school. The, the private school I mentioned earlier is a Catholic school. Went through just you know that whole process of studying. We so we didn't do Bible study. We we had something of a watered down version of studying the Catechism, which is the actual doctrine of the uh, Catholic uh, uh, Catholic Church, Catholic community. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, did that. I was had an infant baptism. You know, did the whole Stations of the Cross thing when I had my communion. I'm forgetting the name of it offhand. Uh, but you know, as a as a as a middle school boy, I confirmation. There we go. I had my so you confirmation. Have your baptismal name and everything. Um, so confirmation in in Catholic doctrine is a little different. So I have a friend. She's Cameroonian. She was baptized and then also had a confirmation. I believe the same day because she had never been baptized as an infant. Okay. Uh, even though her family, uh, I think she was raised by a single mom. Her family was was Catholic. But she never actually, again, had an infant baptism. So she did it later on in life. But um, most of the kids I grew up with um, in my you know, particular Catholic community, we were all baptized in our infancy. And, you know, we were going to this school and we had confirmation when we were in seventh or eighth grade. So I grew up that way in this very small community of Catholics, you know, relatively speaking, engaged because it was it was school for me. It was school. So it was my school community, which, you know, is a small private school. So, you know, everybody. Yeah. Um, once I entered high school, however, that changed. We all went to different high schools. Some went to private Catholic high schools, like the very popular ones here in the state of Maryland or in D.C. Others like myself who couldn't afford to do it. We went to public school. So I would see some people here and there over those four years, but never really. It wasn't the same once we entered high school. The, that, that closeness we had was essentially gone for the most part. So uh, as a result of that being gone, my religiousness also, if you will, was was slowly disappearing. I wasn't going to mass as often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it went, it came from, it went to the point of like my freshman year, I'd go almost every Sunday with my mom. By the time I was a senior, it was like holidays only, like my dad. Gotcha. Um, so I entered college and um, a friend of mine from high school who was a senior in high school when I was a freshman, he has a brother, a younger brother who graduated with me and he's Indian himself. He became a Christian, a disciple of Christ, as I mentioned before, in college. He he grew up in a religious family, but as he would tell you, if you were here right now, he was not a Christian. His family were not Christians, but they were believers, which again, the semantics aside, those are actually different things in according to the Bible. Gotcha. So for me, when I became a freshman in, in college and you know met up with this friend I hadn't seen in a while, and he, who just became a Christian, knowing who he was in high school, he's a very loud, rude dude, but cool, but the cool, loud, rude dude. Yeah. And seeing this like, 360 change if you're 180 change i'm like this is weird i don't want to be around you like this this is not the you i remember it was just it was different so you know for whatever reason uh god allowed us to cross paths literally every single week my freshman first first semester in my freshman year and he just, all he would do is invite me to church hey man you want to go to church da, da, da. Mm-hmm. no or i'd make some make up some lie if i didn't say no and then i have to i have to share the story with you it's not often i get to say this so there's one time Again, we went to the same high school, so we lived in the same community, and we were both commuter students to the University of Maryland. So there's one time I'm heading to campus in my car, and I look in my rearview mirror, and he's right behind me. So in my mind, I'm thinking, again, this guy I'm trying to like avoid now in college. I'm like, yo, he's following me. So I'm literally <laughs> speeding down New Hampshire Avenue to Adelphi Road to head to College Park, Maryland. Uh, to park my car to avoid this guy who I thought was following me. He wasn't following me, I found out later, but it just yeah. so happened he left his house short uh, before i left my 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 house so we happen to just be on the same road coincidence same Coinc- coincidence every week Let, let's call that providence he, gotcha. he, was a, he was an engineer civil engineer and i was undeclared and if, if you're you know for anybody listening that knows college park maryland university of maryland those are two separate co- you know, colleges the colleges of letters and sciences and engineering they're, they're separate buildings 
the students don't necessarily meet in the same places at all. Like if they do, it's because they have the same class. But literally, we would I would be on North Campus, he'd be on North Campus. I'd be on South Campus, he'd be on South Campus. We would somehow cross paths. And again, I, I can't explain how and why. Um, I'm sure if we had, you know, Google Maps back then, we could track our data and be like, oh, that's why you were at Bird Stadium because da, da, da. But, you know, long story short, that first semester, as challenging as it was, I, I did terribly my first semester in college. The university was kind enough to reinstate me. That's how bad it was. And I was in a different place spiritually than I had been before. I was like very downtrodden, very low, just like, man, I just, you know, there was a girl I was really into, Ghanaian girl. Uh, oh we were both in God. ASA, African Student Association. <laughs> and I thought to myself, like, yeah, we're friends. You know, you know, she'd want to date me. Mind you, I, I went to a private school and again, a small community. And I grew up watching a, a TV program that doesn't exist anymore called Saved by the Bell. Mm. And I really believe what I saw on TV. We were yeah. talking about media and how, how it portrays characters and people. So I really thought, like, if a guy and if a girl are friends, mm-hmm. and if the guy likes the girl, then the girl likes the guy, and they'll start dating. Yeah, I right. really believe that. <laughs> Clearly, that's not the truth for anybody listening. That's not how life works. But, you know, I was devastated and was very low. My mother, during the winter break, was she saw me, and we normally, uh, the communication, even though we, it was great uh, between my parents and I, we never talked about church. We never talked about God growing up. I don't know why. That's just how it was then. It's different now. But she saw just in my, my, my particular state how low I was and was like, you know, Chidi, you need God. And that stuck with me. Like, I'm like, for my mother to like go out of her way to talk about God briefly, it was like literally all she said. I was like, I'm going to consider it because it's my mom. So spring semester comes 2020, uh, 2002, year that the, the men's program wins the basketball championship. And I get again, reinstated back. And same story. I keep running into this guy over and over again on campus. His name is Vince. So there's one day outside the tennis courts and the old uh, Coliseum, uh, the basketball court, I forget it offhead right now, but where the Terps used to play basketball before the new stadium was built. I saw him from afar and I knew in my gut, you know what, this might, depending on what I say, this might be the last time I ever see this guy like in my life. So I decided to just go up to him. He's walking toward me. Well, now you went up to him. Yeah. At this point, like again, literally for let's say 20 plus times, he had seen me and I'd seen him on campus and it was usually him seeing me first, but this is the first time I saw him first. So, um, he reluctantly walked towards me as I was walking toward him. You know, I greet him, he greets me back and then he invites me to another church event. But this time it's not a Sunday worship service. It's a Bible discussion okay. called Bible talk. So I was like, Bible talk, what's that? So he's like, yo, you know, it's just a, you know, Bible discussion, you know, different people from different backgrounds come together and we talk about a topic or a theme or a scripture in the Bible. I'm like, okay. Sure, I'd like to go. He's like, really? I was like, yeah. And then I asked him, when is it? He's like, today. I'm like, what time? An hour from now. I was like, where? That building over there. Why the Ramon him in his building? So I was like, okay, I'll be there. He was like, oh, okay, cool. So I go to this discussion. I was the only visitor for this Bible discussion, but it was like by far the the best discussion of the Bible, of God's mm-hmm. word, I ever had in my life to this day. Mm-hmm. I remember it very vividly. I met some really great guys and gals. Uh, in fact, two two women's basketball players from the, the university were in that discussion, and, and they were part of the uh, uh, campus ministry. Two days later, I went to, actually, no, the next day, excuse me, it was because it was Thursday evening, went to a devotional service at your American University. Yeah. So that was my first time at campus there. And I applied to, a, I have to say this, I applied to AU. They rejected me with passion. Like, I got the rejection <laughs> letter. I was like, what do you mean with passion? I, like, I was confident I was good enough to go to AU. And of all the schools that I applied to, AU was the only one that said no. Thanks, but no thanks. 
culture. I was I felt some kind of way about AU. Well, let me tell you something, bro. There's no there's no gel off close to AU. Ah. So maybe you dodged a bullet. It's, all, <laughs> it's no, closer it's to good. UMD, man. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's all I, that's a beautiful campus and uh, they have great, a lot of great programs there. But um, you know, we we had a service down there in DC with other campus ministries. The AU had a campus ministry. Wait, college. so all through your college years, you and this was freshman year, right? Freshman year. Yeah. So all through college, you were part of the Christian. I, I began to uh, study the Bible for the first time in 2002. Like, I had a Bible. I By bought from a dollar store. Gotcha. Um, but I, I read, like, the first page in Genesis. <laughs> Stop. This was middle school. So really, you know, all these years, I had been part of a, a uh, Catholic mass community. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had an understanding of religion, an understanding of spirituality, but not necessarily a relationship with God. And it, was in, gotcha. it wasn't until I was in college that that was exposed to me for the first time through through the Bible. So through these Bible studies and, and, and my understanding of God's word and realizing that, oh my goodness, I'm not a Christian, like according to how the Bible defines Christianity and, mm-hmm. and specifically what a, a Christian or specifically a disciple of Christ is, that's not my life. I've not been living this way. That's when I decided, okay, I do want to truly make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life and not just say it, but actually live it out. Um, so I, you know, studied the Bible for roughly two and a half weeks, got baptized in my own Two world. and a half weeks. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It just, just, it was one, one study after another. I had gotcha. many men graciously enough, uh, taking time out of their day, whether they were, you know, working in the church as staff or graduate students or undergraduate students that took time out of the day to help me understand God's word mm-hmm. and how to become a Christian. So, uh, in about two and a half weeks that happened and, uh, March 24, 2002, I got baptized in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. And, you know, I've been a, and again, I, I, I know Christian is the word, but I, I personally choose not to use that word because of the way people perceive the word. Like if, if you were to, you know, I mean, you're here or globally, globally, globally it's how do people, people perceive de- the word. People, de- people define it differently. It's for example, if I were to, I have a, I have a cousin who's Muslim, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he converted while incarcerated. If I were to have a conversation with them the right nation? now, um, I don't believe it's nation of Islam. I think it's uh, uh, Orthodox uh, Islam. Gotcha. Uh, but if I were to ask him, what is a Muslim? He will go to the Quran, English version, because he, he, he doesn't, to my understanding, he doesn't know Arabic. But he would go to the Quran, and, and from the Quran, he would read the definition of what a Muslim looks like, acts like, and should be like. Mm-hmm. Likewise, for whether it's uh, Christianity and its doctrine, Judaism, Hinduism, rather than going off of you know uh, a news headline or someone's unfortunate experiences, perhaps, and, they, and they, those happen. I, unfortunately, people do get hurt, whether it be in the church or at a synagogue or a mosque or wherever. Rather than going to, by just an opinion, I want to go to the actual source, the doctrine. What is what does the doctrine say of itself? What, whatever that doctrine says of itself then that's what it actually is and should be. Whether people actually follow it, that's a different story. Mm-hmm. So, again, I grew up Catholic, and the Catholicism has its own doctrine. It's an actual, completely separate doctrine called the Catechism. And that's how you be, become a Catholic, through, through its teachings. But according to Jesus' teachings, if you were to follow him, there's a very specific way to do that, and that's shown in the New Testament. That's shown in the various epistles that, whether it be Paul, Peter, Jesus' physical brother, James, and so on and so forth, wrote about. So that's where I get my definition of Christianity. But, again, people listening, 
people at this institution, people at AU, people elsewhere in the world. Literally, there there's not one concise definition or understanding, I should say, of Christianity because everyone's had a different exposure, if you will, to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where Bible study is important. If I, I can't go up to someone who's Muslim, having never read the Quran, and tell them, this is what a Muslim is, mm-hmm. because this is my experience with Muslims. I, and I grew up with people who are Muslim. Actually, a friend of mine, <laughs> interesting enough, I had a Muslim friend in Catholic school because the education, the teaching was so good, and his parents sent him there, but he was still, by doctrine, Muslim. And in college, he, he really practiced it heavily. But it's like me telling him what it is when he has a doctrine right there. Like, actually, no, this is what it is. This is what <laughs> it's said in text. Likewise, for someone to tell me, oh, um, you know, Christianity, and just I'm hypothetically speaking out loud, Christianity is this thing where, you know, you, you go to a building and you, sh- you hoot and holler and you say hallelujah and you ask for your forgiveness of sins and you just go that one time, that once once a week. You can't, you cannot summarize a doctrine with that one experience somebody on your mama's, auntie's, brother's, sister's, godparent's side had. It's, it, it's actually more than just that. It's a relationship and it's a, doctrinally speaking, that relationship can be found in the word of God in the Bible. So that was a little long winded, but hopefully that helps. Anybody listening helps. I understand what you're saying that Christianity, and I agree, uh, to be honest, uh, it's a relationship. It's not necessarily tasks that you're expected to do here and there are a place, uh, a building that you go to, to, to worship with other people. It is a relationship. But I was curious when you're talking about that just now, I was curious to know, like, when did the society try to define Christianity? I don't know if that's something I personally am aware of, or maybe I'm just oblivious to that fact, or maybe there are experiences in your life that made you think like that. But I don't know if like there's any time I felt that um, society was trying to define mm-hmm. Christianity or even, I don't know. So, I don't know. It was just interesting. It's, to, to I, I think, um, and, and I, I probably have been focusing on media a lot for a reason, because, you know, with my title as a librarian, uh, academic librarian, a visual communication and outreach librarian, there's a, there's a visual literacy and uh, visual communication that goes with use of media. Like, for example, mm-hmm. people who uh, listen to your podcast, who also watch video version of your podcast, they are literally being communicated to and also interpreting at the same time, whether it's through their ears or their eye gate or whatever, uh, the information that they're receiving. So at the moment, there are there are people in the world that their exposure, and I know you used that word before, their exposure when it comes to, and again, I'm quoting this, Christianity is from movies from TV, from at times radio, or the limited interactions that they have with people who call themselves Christian openly or secretly, uh, or who say, oh yeah, I went to a church and this was my experience. And that, that's all that they're going off of. Like that's the information that they're going off of. And that not one time the actual word of God. So that's, that's more so where I'm coming from. If there weren't this, you know, again, it's 2019, there's this heavy, inundating uh, and saturation of media uh, more than ever in the history of mankind. Mm -hmm. People want to do what's easy. So it's easy for me to just, you know, pick up my phone, go to, uh, let's say, IGTV or, you know, Facebook Live or YouTube. Is that still a thing, IGTV? Yeah, yes. I would say on the entrepreneurial side, a lot of business people are, like, using that to to their benefit. They're, They're getting more of an audience than they would have beforehand. Gotcha. Um, but you know, th- these, these, whatever the platform is, 
so many people are being communicated to in a way in a limited like five minute or 60 minute segment of some video or some some audio footage and that's that's all they're going off of that that one hour or again it could be whatever unfortunate experience that someone has had and there and there are a lot of those stories out there that's definitely truth i'm not going to pretend like you know nothing bad in the body of christ has ever occurred in the church has ever occurred or in any other doctrine whether it be a mosque again a, a synagogue or a temple like unfortunately there are bad people in any circle correct in any field and in, in, in any industry and then also with within doctrinal practices there are people who enter a community to specifically harm others i mean that that's where we're human for better or for worse people are fickle and that's going to happen unfortunately uh but again going back to the point the exposure part there are people who are only as informed as what they've been exposed to rather than what they can investigate it uh, about if you will mm. if there's you know again being a librarian being a, a, a former classroom educator if you're actually going to do the do the work do the research like ask those questions oh that's something that people don't do now at all it's like hashtag I, fake news <laughs> hashtag fake freaking yeah. news yeah. man it's like just read the headline exactly and it's, it's it's there so yeah. anyway um let's touch on business for a bit sure. so and i don't mean to stereotype by any way uh but you're evil right absolutely so i would imagine like you experienced a lot of role models growing up who are entrepreneurial and you know coming to the u.s that was kind of like an option for you to be entrepreneurial but what do you do like business-wise and how do you get into it and just talk a little bit about sure. that. sure uh so i've i've dabbled uh, mostly in small business but i i do have a background of corporate uh, work experience as well most so most of my small business and corporate experiences are either in direct selling um art or uh, i'm forgetting one more food services there we go in hospitality so oh, there we that's go. that's services. mainly where where i've uh, gotten most of my work work skills from those three industries or areas of people as well as education of course now at the moment i'm not for example doing direct selling i'm not directly involved in food services that's whether it's you know uh, a restaurant or a supermarket or anything related to food not currently not dabbling in that and then as far as uh, art most people that uh, have known me for years know that i'm a, a creative an artist and i've i've had a company a uh, small small business company for 13 years now where it's essentially i'm a consultant independent artist freelance artist uh, that sort of thing. But even that has taken a break, a pause, if you will, for what I'm currently focused on, which is library sciences and services and education in higher ed. But as far as my past experiences, I've, you know, in the corporate side, I worked with a direct selling company no longer exists. But at the time, I was their uh, social media manager, uh, managed their content for about a year, year and a half or so mm -hmm. uh, before I and my former business mentors parted ways with the company. And then I was before that company <laughs> went bankrupt. I'm not saying they went bankrupt because we left, but I'm just saying things just did not work out once we were gone. Gotcha. Um, at University of Maryland, worked with dining services, with facilities maintenance, uh, doing more of the logistical IT stuff, uh, and not necessarily maintenance of IT-related matters, but more so database management. I've worked with two supermarkets. Um, I actually helped launch a supermarket, believe it or not, in really? Texas. Yeah. That was an interesting experience, uh, being behind the scenes and seeing how that works in that particular 
Southwestern market. What, what but, kind of supermarket? Uh, so the the company is uh, Winco Foods. Okay. And uh, they were kind enough to hire me uh, at a time when they're opening up uh, their Louisville supermarket, which I believe still exists in Louisville, North Texas. And I learned a lot. Um, they had they actually flew or flewed out. I, I wanted to say that uh, flewed out some of their corporate executives and other management and admin to do a lot of training and to just essentially cultivate the culture that they wanted to have in that community of Louisville. New Louisville is a great place if you've never been to North Texas. It's north of Dallas, and it's also north of Grapevine, which is also a great community I've lived in. Check it out. But um, learned a lot in my experiences working with this supermarket. There's a local supermarket here that I've worked with before when I was in grad school. With direct selling, uh, and direct selling, for those of you that don't know, includes MLM, includes door-to-door yeah um includes you know if you ever you know get stuff in the mail and they're like hey order this roast beef uh that's gourmet like that's that's all direct selling it's direct to the consumer so i've worked in the industry but i've went i learned a lot in, in general over the years in these various industries about how to engage with uh, a client a customer and really the community because it's it all comes down to meeting other people's needs yeah any business like you have this you know uh hp laptop you have this other equipment for audio recording and broadcasting purposes. Mm-hmm. This is meeting your need of podcasting, broadcasting, and the like. I'm not really considering this a business, more like a hobby <laughs> for now. <laughs> for now, but I've been having some thoughts lately, but we'll see mm-hmm. how that turns out. Maybe I'll come to you for some yeah, sure. For some advice uh, when I'm ready to scale or something. Yeah, I've been thinking about a couple of things, but yeah. We talked about, and this might be a sensitive topic, right, but it's just that where we see this from is different, like back home. And I'm just interested to know how um, some diasporans also see this. The civil war in Nigeria, mm-hmm. the Biafra war, which was what, late 60s, 70s, um, it displaced a bunch of people from a particular part of the country. And we had all this like, kind of like almost forced migration because yeah. people had to flee the war and you will go to other parts of the world. And that's how most of the Nigerian communities um, all over the world started developing because yeah. people have been there and you know, the family came over, got married, kids and all that. I'm just interested to know if uh, maybe your parents or anyone you knew um, talked about the war, like growing up, because it was different for someone like mm. me. My dad got into the military, I think, six, seven years after the war ended. Okay. But there was still that tension yeah. within the Nigerian military because yeah. some people had fought on this side and some yeah, people had, you know, it was this whole thing, and although I wasn't born during the Civil War, but I would just asked my dad about stories, and you know, he would tell me all this stuff about, uh, even till today, some of those scars haven't still mm. healed. Yeah. But, you know, in the diaspora, I'm just interested to know, um, did you hear any stories about the war, like, growing up? Yeah. And what do you think? Do you think, and this is, like, multi, multi-question, multi right? Uh, do you hear any stories about the war growing up? Do you think our generation is so far detached from the war? And how do you think we can heal? Like, what do you think is we should put on the path to healing to actually, you know, rectify things? Right. That's a great question. So, um, fortunately, for, for both sides of my family, my father's side and my mother's side, we openly have those conversations about the uh, Biafra War, Biafra Nigeria War, some people fully title it. And uh, for, for my parents and their siblings, they all survived. Now, thankfully, uh, at least for my immediate family, to my knowledge, nobody was, was harmed or, or got killed. They did, however, my parents in particular, did lose friends, like childhood friends of theirs were ki- like they saw 
dead bodies. They saw, you know, maiming and all this other stuff. Like they, they, you know, they survived a a a war. African. Let me be very clear. An African war. I think war looks differently in, in different communities, but in in our continent overall, um, that's even you know with the recent news of Sudan. That's you know it's, it's very harsh, very challenging. It's it's traumatic, you know, to say the least. The the family has definitely been very open about that. So on my mother's side, I have an uncle who's a retired professor uh, who was actually involved with the Biafra movement at the time. Like he knew like the top generals, he was working with them. He's written literature over the years about post-Biafra war in Nigeria mm-hmm. and the effects of it, whether it be the military, the government, or the people, the diaspora overall. So it's, it's something that's still, even after 50-something years now, mm-hmm. uh, still fresh in my, my grandmother's mind, my granduncle's mind, who I just mentioned, my parents, my uncles, my aunties, relatives in general. You mentioned something about healing, and I think it's a very important, very important thing to talk about with anything that's traumatic. You know, I think you mentioned earlier when they see us, and yeah. you know, I haven't I haven't watched the the four part uh, series yet, but I look forward to watching that. Even like Black Klansman is something that people have recommended I watch that I haven't yet watched, to be honest. But I think people are starting to realize now, whether it's our Niger community or even the Sudanese community right now, or you know, if we go to the, the further in the east, we have two countries, Eritrea and Ethiopia, that have their own history, right, of uh, tribal and, and national wars. There's there's this realization, I think, with, with overall with Africans that we don't need to be fighting each other. We would rather just be at peace and not just be at peace and everything is kumbaya and that's it. But, you know, just to speak frankly, like, you know, why are we even at war? Why are we allowing these other countries outside the continent to influence us? Mm. Why are we allowing, and again, I could name different countries as far as Nigeria is concerned that we're trying to side with the Yorubas, try to side with the Hausas, try to side with the Igbos. That's not, right now, that's not important. What's important right now is, you know, in 2019 for our, our, our younger diaspora and for the overall diaspora of Nigeria, what, what do we need to do as a community in the country and globally to advance, to grow, to be better than we are right now. Because unfortunately, in 2006 and, and now in 2019, I haven't heard that much of a change when it comes to poverty, for example. There there are some effects of the war in the mid-1900s that are still impacting our community now. Poverty would be one of those things. Education, the lack thereof, uh, in this infrastructure would be one of those things. So um, I think as far as how answering the question, how do you heal, how can you heal, or how can people heal in our community? One one way, you know, my I have a girlfriend who's Yoruba. I'm Igbo. Just to show you, uh, that, you know, that that's possible. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and that's a serious thing um, for those who are not Nigerian yeah. that know that those are like two different sides. Yeah, of the country, completely different. Uh, mm-hmm. If you in, the, in its core mentalities, old school mentalities that still operate to this day, that for the younger generation isn't necessarily applicable, but we still, you know. My ears still, you know, hear from my, my elders who are Igbo. Her ears still hear from her elders who are Yoruba. So not right. to say that, that we ignore them, but, you know, we know, we know that there's still remnants of, of the past there that are, are still, you know, impacting people. Uh, but as far as healing, you know, talking about it is definitely one thing. And, and speaking one's truth and being heard, I think, is also very helpful. That's the thing. How do we talk about it in a, in a culture... Uh, in a country where you had thought not to bring out sensitive stuff right. in the open, 
where everyone is hypocritical about yeah. a whole bunch of stuff right. where respect that if someone doesn't like what you're saying when you're saying the truth they use the weaponized culture to make mm-hmm. it seem like disrespect and even there's a censorship on certain things i mean till now even the movies that that try to be done about the war are like blocked by the mm-hmm. censors board and all that stuff so how do we even start to talk about it yeah. social media yeah there there can't there can't be a, a fear like you know people who operate out of fear aren't really operating they're not really living like Correct. there's there's, a, there's actually a danger uh, living that way. I mean, there are literal historical examples of people like that. I'm going to just mention one name and that kind of will speak for itself. Adolf Hitler. I mean, he had a traumatic experience in his childhood and based off that fear, mm. he made a decision to that essentially led to genocide. We can't be, we cannot live in fear. That's, that's, you know, a very important thing. We have to absolutely positively live in love, but be very embracing, truthful, forthcoming, in that living in love. So that said, though, you know, I agree with you 100% that there's definitely in our community there can be a, a uh, uh, so to speak, a, a chaining, uh, restrictive force to prevent that information or that opportunity to talk and be heard about the, the hurt and the, and the pain from this post-war uh, civilization we now live in being there. Um, but talking about it is still important. I mean, I probably will be going back to the Bible once in a while. So even in scripture, it talks about confessing one's sins in order to be healed. Like there is a healing process when you speak out and and reveal something that's painful or hurtful. And, you know, if for anybody that's never done therapy, for example, whether it be for mental health, emotional health or whatever, that's what therapy does. It allows people to speak in a safe space uh, where they normally would not have that opportunity or space to do so. In order to be healed, the purpose of therapy is to be healed, and I and I look at it in the same way. Like if, if our people, whether they're the elders or the younger generation that are living in a community affected by this war uh, that happened uh, however many decades ago, um, if they're not allowed to speak about their experiences, they're they're not allowed as well the opportunity to to grow, to change, to heal, and to allow other people as well to benefit from that. Because again, I, I think it's important to remember that if, if one person gets healed and helped, that means that person can now help and heal other people. True. In my opinion. Correct. Um, you, 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 you cannot be healed at the same time without participating, without being part of that process. Like you can't just go to a doctor, you know, raise your hands, heal me. <laughs> that, that's, no, you have to participate, right? There's a, there's a participation in the healing process. And I think for our country, like literally our entire country and our people, whether you're Hausa, Yoruba, Igbo, or the other tribes, for that matter, I'm part of Popo on my mother's mother's side. Uh, so technically, I'm not even 100% Igbo, I'm three-fourths Igbo. But, you know, whoever you are, you have to participate in, in that process of healing. And part of that will be speaking your truth and being heard and allowing people to be heard, too. I think there's also, again, that that, that comes into play with participation. Exactly. Um, and I'll, I'll end on this note. We, unfortunately, we have a very layered intricate, complicated history as a, as a diaspora. And it takes time to unwind and unravel those things. It's not, it's not a, a very simple solution for a country to be healed. It takes time. If you think about Japan, post Hiroshima, if you think about, uh, you know, there's a show called Chernobyl out right now that touches on something that happened in the nineties, that community, it's taken 20 something years almost for that to be a healed community overall. 
you think about other types of genocide, uh, and I mentioned uh, Hitler, so the overall European Jewish community in Poland, in Germany, elsewhere, that took time. So this is, again, one of those things where if we as a community are allowed, no, let me rephrase that. If we as a community allow our own selves to do the work in a, in a very particular period of time, it can't happen. We can't actually be healed. We cannot just move forward. We can move on and do even better, bigger, greater things for the next generation, the generation after that, and so on and so forth. But for the here and now, we, we just need to like actually allow ourselves to be heard, allow to ourselves hurt. to be to speak as well. I think there's some people who have, again, fear, who are even afraid to talk about atrocities that they've witnessed or probably committed. Mm-hmm. You know, for people who committed atrocities, I'm sure they can't live with themselves with that. They have to, they have to, they themselves need healing. Everybody, whether you're the person committing the offense or being offended, everybody needs healing. So, I mean, it's like Leonardo say, um, hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> exactly. <right>? exactly. <laughs> but talking about speaking about the problem, um, I've actually had this idea. Um, I was inspired by a friend, Jonathan, on how they are using Creole uh, in Haiti and trying to structure yeah. the language to actually structure pigeon. So growing up, I don't know why pigeon has become this whole classism thing where you're not supposed to speak pigeon in schools and uh, I don't know, like pigeon is frowned upon in some places. But in my opinion, like pigeon is understood by everyone, like from the guy selling food on the street mm-hmm. to the bank manager. Right. like so, And it's a common language understood by 90% of the population of Nigeria. So why can't we settle down? actually structure pigeon as a language to make it teachable, to make it transferable. I don't know. Uh, that's something I've been thinking about. That If I was to like, start a foundation or an advocacy group, that would be something I'll probably do. Well, how do we promote pigeon? How do we structure pigeon to teach people? I'm not saying we should lose our languages, mm-hmm. our indigenous languages, our identity, or any of our culture. But to add to that, like, now we can actually study it. I know a couple of people who have made attempts at, at some linguists who have made attempts at studying pidgin mm-hmm. English in the past, but it's so fragmented, you know, bringing yeah. it all together, actually making a pidgin English curriculum or whatever, yeah. the alphabets in pidgin, whatever, and actually will make pidgin English teachable. And if everyone in the country is communicating, and there's just a certain connection that occurs when two, diff- two people speak pidgin right. English, which is different from English. English is not a language to start with. Um, so, yeah, that's something I've just been thinking about. And, you know, I I remembered it because of what you were talking about with speaking on the issues from the war. Um, but do you, do you speak pigeon by any? I, w- by any I wish I could. I could say I speak fluent pigeon, Igbo, Yoruba, all these other. How I many, how many languages do you speak? So uh, you know, obviously English is one, but my my probably my second strongest language would be Spanish. I, I grew really? up really yeah, growing up in the DC area in the nineties and in two uh, thousands. Uh, I've took I've taken Spanish in middle school, high school, and college. Then, now, am I great at it? I have to be in the, a Spanish-speaking community or country to speak fluently like that. It just, it'll come to me that way, but I don't speak it frequently or often enough. I was going to ask if this uh, stemmed from the influence from the Latinx community yeah, in Peachy yeah, County. Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, funny enough, too, and, and and I don't, I can't remember if we had this conversation before. So, you know, Japanese is actually something that I have a bit of a schema of an understanding of because I grew up watching anime as well. Oh, really? Before anime was like this thing that it is now. Yeah. Uh, when it was like this, like 
you know, underground type of manga. Uh, yeah, I used to watch watch anime, and, and occasionally when I had the chance to go to a comic book store and I had import comics manga, I'd read the manga or try to read the kanji anyway. So mm-hmm. I have so strangely enough, I'm a American born Nigerian national Igbo guy who mm. speaks English, Spanish, and understands Japanese more than he does Igbo. <laughs> I hope your dad don't listen to this. But guy, now you post learn pigeon. I teach, I teach you pigeon. You know if they chop jollof, no sabi speak pigeon. When when it comes down to it, if my life were to depend on it, I'll learn. I'll gotcha. Learn. Yeah, so gotcha. I at least have that. But yeah, I, I at the moment with pigeon, I hear some. I speak very little, and that's as far as it's gone so far. But I would I would love to improve my skills. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. And um, you've talked about like immersing yourself in other languages, Japanese, yeah. Spanish. Have you been to other countries? What are some of your um, most memorable travel experiences? So uh, I'm not I've not yet been to any Asian uh, c- country, uh, but obviously being here in the states, there are various Asian communities. Vietnamese community is big here on the uh, uh, East Coast in DC, just like it is on the West Coast in Cali, Sacramento. But yeah, uh, uh, countries. Uh, you know, the UK have been there. Um, Germany, France. Uh, so uh, I forgot. French is another language where I know a little bit, like I can hear it, but I don't necessarily speak it fluently. And I worked with a French uh, cafe actually before, as far as food services is concerned. Gotcha. Um, and then of course Nigeria and Morocco, where they speak French there as well in Morocco. But I, I you know, Amharic is something I'd love to learn uh, because of the Ethiopian community that I grew up with and I worked with as well. Uh, Portuguese is another language. Uh, no foul Portuguese. That's literally all I know. I, I can say I don't know how to speak Portuguese. God. And, and uh, yeah, just communities that I've either gr- I've grown up around or with, the people that is in those communities, or countries where there's something that they have. Like I'm a, I'm a football fan, or not American football, but soccer. football, soccer, right? So... Um, that's another kind of a, a connector for me to these various cultures and communities. Exactly. You uh, follow the Premier League? Chelsea FC. Uh, Chelsea, baby. Anyway, I don't think I support. I, I like to call myself an Arsenal su- supporter. I'm not like a fan, like just a supporter. Yeah. I wish them well. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel about the Mets. Until, you know, the Kaepernick uh, situation occurred, I was actually an avid Redskins fan. And then once mm. that happened, I was like, you know what? The NFL and the Redskins can kick some kick some rocks. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm not mad at the men who who play that need to you know make ends meet for their families. Their families and yeah. Even the management and, the, and some owners, not all, but I, I'm you know 100 now international football. That's that's what I'm about. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And it's becoming more and more popular um, if they can break into that U.S. market. Yeah. I mean, I went to see DC United. A couple of months ago, they lost, even with Rooney. I think mm. they lost like 4-1 or something, oh, something well, ridiculous. You know, Rooney, Rooney, Rooney we're, the, we're in the same age group, so he's, you know, as you know, a dinosaur for yeah. his age in the, in the soccer game. But, yeah, it's the, you, I've, I've had this conversation with so many people. I have, I have a friend who used to play in the MLS uh, years ago when uh, Dallas burned before they turned to FC Dallas. And uh, I don't – there's not a uh, perhaps a correct way to frame it, but – Unlike Europe, unlike Africa, unlike other countries, there's not really a, you know, you don't have these academies, soccer academies like you have in in Europe and Africa and elsewhere that literally allow children to. Unlike baseball. Right. Baseball, football, basketball. Those those exist. I used to coach at the high school level in the States uh, uh, soccer, but it's just it's different. That's the, the best 
overall description I can give. Uh, for it to get to like European level, take a century. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. But hey, I don't think it's as um, it's it's a relatively new sport in the U.S. I guess about uh, uh, give or take a hundred years. It, yeah. Well, hundred years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I will actually look that up. When actually when did soccer start exactly? I think it started in the UK. Yeah, it started so definitely in England. That's where it was yeah. birthed. When it when it started to appear in the United States, and I'm forgetting the story. An ambassador from the UK uh, brought it to the United States. Uh, there were actually before MLS. There have been three, maybe five leagues tops that existed before the MLS was gotcha. established in ninety five, ninety six. But it just never picked up. Like you had, so baseball was like the thing in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Like first 40 years, baseball was a sport. Gradually, football and basketball started to pick up. The pick NBA, up, yeah. of course, picked up in the 60s, and then in the uh, yeah, merged with the ABA. Yeah, late late 60s, early 70s, the NFL, AFL, and eventually their merger. That's when that started to pick up. So there's been those three, and then hockey, of course, can't forget hockey because that's soccer on ice. That's the way I've always understood it. Um, you know, hockey obviously had its influence in this country from Canada, Russia, and other countries. So there have been these other European sports, because uh, basketball is actually uh, Canadian. I didn't even know that until Raptors won. Yeah, someone was like, yeah, wait, basketball, wait, basketball was, started in Canada? Basketball started in Canada. I didn't even know that myself. So you have, you have I these. Think so now we've come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> it took them a while, but I'm glad they made it. Uh, and it took a Nigerian GM to do it, right? Masai, uh, Masai, Masai. Shout Masai. out to him. Um, but, you know, there's been all these other sports that have been more dominant because of the 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 American community, the American culture. America, for anybody that doesn't already know this, America is anti-world when it comes to, like, doing its own thing. So it is, I, man. You know, you don't have rugby as popular. I mean, trousers become pants. Yeah. Pavements become sidewalks. You know, the, the trunk, the boots. Boots become trunks. Uh, like, they just like to do their own stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what diapers are called. Diapers are nappies. Uh, nappies, yes. I mean, uh, it's just U.S. likes to be different, but yeah, that's. That, I would say that's mainly the reason why. Wow, it's been very interesting talking to you. Um, a lot of informative stuff. I think I can actually split this into like a two-part okay. series. Um, but yeah, it's been really interesting getting to share from your experiences being Nigerian, but being an American-born um, Nigerian, um, so to speak, and getting to learn how you grew up, your take on spirituality, and a couple of other stuff. Uh, but before we leave the podcast, i like to play something called Endgame. Cool. So the objective of the podcast is to learn about other cultures, to learn from people with different backgrounds. We do that uh, by having a casual conversation, and you know, hopefully people pick up things here and there. But I like to play Endgame at the end of the podcast to be more deliberate on passing that information, so asking people. So uh, I have a set of questions, um, some of it tilted towards Nigeria, some of it tilted towards the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you have, you are part of both communities, uh, both countries. Uh, but yeah, let's see how this goes. Uh, sure so are you ready? Is there like a theme song or? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope. No, no Avengers. You nope, know, no nope. Thanos. Okay, gotcha. Nope, nope. It's it's <laughs> and again. I looked. I actually looked into this because I don't think Disney can sue me because <laughs> Endgame is actually an English word. Yeah. And they didn't invent it, and I don't think they they copyrighted that name at least as regards to podcasts maybe movies I don't know but anyway (laughs) it's in the dictionary I'll I'll do a drum roll yeah okay so um, you know how folks in Nigeria call the country Niger for Mm -hmm. short do you know what they call the US back home what's the nickname for Uh, the US uh, wow what is that's a good question 
If you have friends coming over, you say I'm going to the states. I think. Mm, nah. No. Nah. States. That Abia states. Even states. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Not as I know. It's not America. How's America doing now? No. Uh, no. Ow. Let me give you a hint. There's actually a Latino artist that has. Okay, the New York baseball team. Let's go with that. Oh, Yankee. Exactly. Okay, okay. I was like, oh, that. Okay, I didn't. I don't know. So I, I've never. I've never been called a Yankee before. No, it's a country, not like. The okay, how's Yankee do? Okay, exactly. Okay. So if like Nigeria, we have all these nicknames for all these countries. Yeah. So if you say I'm going to Jand, for instance, that means you're going to London. Okay. If I'm going to Yankee, that means I'm going to the US. I'm going to Niger. I'm going back to Nigeria. Mm. I'm going to Obodoibo. <laughs> that can mean anywhere. <laughs> I'm just going abroad. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. So, obviously, you should know this one, but what's the name of the U.S. national anthem? The Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, Star Spangled Banner. Uh, what about the Nigerian anthem? Ah, I knew you were going to ask. <laughs> I'm going to start with the easy one first. I'm like, J.J. Okocha, please save me. Uh, <laughs> man, I honestly don't know the, the title of it. Yeah, of course. I uh, know the theme in my head. I just don't know the title. You know the theme? Uh, in my like, I can hum. <laughs> okay, let's go. <laughs> you want to whistle it? <laughs> you want to hum? You want to whistle? Yeah, no, what do you want to do? I, I would need you to start, and then I'll. Fall. Okay, hum. Okay, like, hum the Star Spangled Banner. Now, are we doing a black version or the the white version? Is there a black version? Because if the if it's the black version, there's da, 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 oh, da, you mean the Jimi Hendrix da, da, thing? Da, yeah, like we, we like the little you know. Gotcha, little gotcha. Story. Yeah, Star Spangled Banner. I mean, this I always like whenever I hear the anthem because when I was coming to the U.S., um, I was coming with a friend called Victor who went to school in Georgia. Okay. And for the visa interview, dude actually learned the Star Spangled oh, wow. Banner. I was like, dude, you're dedicated there. <laughs> so that was one thing. Yeah, Star Spangled Banner, a bit of history there, was written in 1814, adopted by Congress in 1931, all that good stuff. Uh, the current Nigerian anthem is <laughs> named Arise O Compatriots. Arise O Compatriots, okay. Yeah, so it's like... Uh, mm, 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 yeah, it has two stanzas, but the former Nigerian anthem was like, it was there since independence in the 60s to 78. Uh, that was Nigeria, we hailed the Nigeria, we hailed the... Now that, I remember... Yeah, your father said, should yeah. know that yeah. one, your parents should know that one. But the current one is Arazo Compatriot, it's been there since 1978, so okay. literally like 40 plus years, and yeah. Interesting. They should have an Afrobeat uh, version. Sometime. I think we actually do oh. have the Afrobeat version of the Nigeria anthem. There's So there's a, a comedy group called Enugu West Life. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, look for them on Instagram. That's my state. Shout out Enugu State. If you're on Instagram, Enugu West Life is a very hilarious guy that remakes all this popular song and add like an evil twist, Afrobeat okay. twist to oh. it. It's just funny. Uh, okay. About. So what about Independence Day? The U.S. Independence Day? July 4th. I don't know the year off it. It was like 1774, something like that, or 78. Oh, 1776. Uh, 76, there we go. Yeah. What about Nigerian? October the 1st. Aha! Because my birthday is the week before. (laughs) (laughs) What about the year? The year. That was 19... Let's see if I get this right. Because we're we're turning like 57, I think, this year. Uh, 61, 62, something like that? Close. 60. 60, okay. Yeah, October so, 1st, oh, 1960. Yeah, wow, 59 years. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's we're 
getting older. I mean, we don't have excuses uh, for all the excuses yeah, of a young country. Sure. Yeah, we need to be, especially with all the talent we have, you know, Nigerians all over the world, for making sure. us proud in different industries. We're, my man, we're in X-Men, the new X-Men that just came out. Stunt Woman, shout out, she's also a, a Nigeria Igbo girl. Okoye. Okere. There we go. Okere. Look, look her up. She, the stunt Ooh. woman for Storm. Okay. She's she's a Nigerian girl. Now, I mean, even besides like, uh, and this is not to to um, what's it called to belittle like roles like a stunt woman or anything, but even like in the mainstream, like Nigerians mm-hmm. are like you just talked about Masai, yeah. um, the doctor in was it Texas that had the yes, uh, Doctor Amalu. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a good dude. He added me on LinkedIn. I felt good. Really. Yeah. Okay, I should. I, we have one mutual connection on LinkedIn. I'll add him to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much for Absolutely. coming on the podcast. Um, he's such a good dude, uh, CT. Uh, I've been talking to vegetarian by choice, <laughs> conscious <laughs> black man who's a disciple <laughs> of Christ, dual nationality, and all that good stuff. Unfortunately, he has a girlfriend, so when he has slides into his DM, I've warned you. Your bar girls oh, don't play you. God. They'll come and visit you wherever you are. <laughs> Actually, he's not lying. Like, no, but black girl, black men don't cheat. So yes, you know, you know what it is. <laughs> is there anything you want to plug? Um, anything uh, you want to drop? Maybe your social media. If someone sure, wants to reach sure. out to you, if there's something you want to put out there into the cosmos. Sure thing. Uh, definitely, again, appreciate you allowing me to be on your podcast and this platform, uh, the various platforms that this is on. Uh, so if you want to follow me. I have uh, LinkedIn, like I said. I have uh, Twitter. I'm, I will get back on Facebook. I've taken an almost two-year hiatus because there can be drama on, on certain social media platforms, as I'm sure you all know. But uh, mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Uh, if you look up Unanu, U-N-O-N-U, you'll most likely find me on Twitter. It's underscore U-N-O-N-U underscore. Same on Instagram. For business stuff, I'm now the Nigerian librarian. Mm-hmm. I'm also on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. Right. I'm working on... Yeah. <laughs> working on working on promoting that in a little bit so if uh, you can look me up by the way unanu or ct unanu uh or chukudi unanu again it depends I've, I've tried to like own unanu but there's some like turkish and or chinese groups that actually use those names which is very strange like how does my very unique Igbo last name get acquired by said turkish and chinese companies but yeah I have, i'm all over social media so just look up my last name and you'll most likely be able to find my account, and I'd be happy to uh, follow back. Um, and then as, uh, as far as uh, lasting remarks, um, you know, we talked about health. We talked about healing. Uh, you know, I'm very much about, uh, if, if you didn't uh, hear it from me already, uh, just being impactful in the community. Um, you know, just whoever you are, wherever you are, however you're listening to this uh, podcast, you know, if your day is not great, uh, make the decision to make it a great day because it's ultimately mm. up to you, no matter what type of hardships you're going through, challenges, trials, tribulations, and the, and the like. Uh, you cannot have a testimony without trials and tests. Like mm. that's, it's a requirement. It's a prerequisite. So mm. uh, know that you're going through this this experience uh, for a reason, and it's a good reason, not a bad one, to, to change, to grow, to be cultivated, and to mature so that you can only share your story with other people, that you can also impact other people and help other people out that are uh, going to experience some more things in the future. So definitely uh, just make the decision. If today's not already a great day, the decision is yours to make it a great day, but have a great day otherwise. Exactly, exactly. And last question, of, I forgot to ask this, actually. Oh, if you could recommend someone to be on this podcast, uh, someone oh. who, who's like 
has an interesting mm. background, um, someone who is in touch with culture in any way, um, someone who you think would be ideal for this kind of discussion, who would it be? So the first, I have a high, a high school and elementary school friend of mine. Uh, her name is Mahidere Saleh. She just got married, so I don't know her, her new uh, last name. I know her maiden name, but uh, she's Ethiopian. Uh, okay. She's a, an excellent entrepreneur. Okay. Um, and, and she has just, you know, been a very good friend to me over the years. So uh, she would be definitely somebody to look up. Um, Does she stay within the area? Yeah, she's in the DMV. Um, I don't know if she's moved. She used to live in PG County. I don't know if she's moved since she got married. She got literally like months ago, uh, got married. So I'm not sure where she is in DMV, but she is uh, one of the many cool, uh, awesome friends that I have. Because I know people are going to hear this and be like, you didn't mention my name. Everybody that I know is dope and cool if you... Uh, you know, are humble. So <laughs> <laughs> that's such an Nigerian yeah. thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I guess we'll make that happen sometime in for the future. Sure. Thank you very much again for coming. My pleasure. Thanks for having uh, me. Thank you for listening, guys. It's been the Culture Class Podcast. Follow us on social media. It's Culture Class Podcast everywhere uh, except Twitter. Twitter is Culture Class Pod, uh, but it's Culture Class Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Send us an email, cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you like to hear. Send criticisms our way and connect with CT. All right. Have a great day, guys. Peace.